This podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, August 13th, and on today's financial show, we're diving into the Motley Fool mailbag to answer listener questions about the fascinating topic of shorting. Specifically, we'll discuss some different shorting strategies, the risk involved, and ultimately, in the event of a market downturn, should these alternative strategies have a place in your long-term portfolio? We'll get into all of that, but first, I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I'm joined in the studio via Skype with financials guru and newly minted certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, congrats. You survived the CFP examination and lived to tell the tale. I did, and I never want to do it again. (laughs) To all you listeners out there thinking about doing it, you heard it straight from Matt's lips. (laughs) It's tough, but obviously uh, not too impossible to achieve. But Matt, tell us, I guess, what went involved with that? Uh, Well, to be a CFP, you need a few different things. You have to have an educational background. So I had to do a, a graduate certificate in financial planning. I did mine through Florida State University. You also need at least three years of full-time experience in the financial industry, which my work with The Motley Fool gave me that. And then finally, you need to pass an exam. And then after that, you kind of have to take an oath type thing. It's a, They call it the ethics requirement. But once you've meet, met all four of those requirements, you can call yourself a CFP after you pay a, a registration fee. So it's, it's, a, it's a process. I've been working on it for about two years now. Wonderful. So that means there literally is no one better qualified to tackle today's show than you, Matt. So let's get right into it. Um, Let's start off. So we actually recently had an industry focus episode. It was actually the July 20th um, tech episode where it was dedicated to the, the topic of shorting individual stocks. This actually generated a follow-up email that I thought would be a really great topic to tackle. And uh, I'll read through it. I'll abbreviate it just for the sake of time. But our listener says, on a recent Industry Focus episode, there was a question about shorting. I'm in total agreement that shorting is super, super risky because of the unlimited downside. But what about ETFs that short the market or an index? I think we're all in agreement that at some point in time, there will be a bear market. In any case, when that does happen, I'd like to see some green in my portfolio. I will say I would like that to happen, too. The listener goes on to say he Googled a few short ETFs and lists some of those ETFs as well. But he continues, I know that there are leveraged ETFs, two and three times the inverse of the market. I was just wondering if these non-leveraged ETFs are a safer way to short the market. I'm under the impression that if I'm wrong, I would just lose what I invested. And I know enough to know I don't know enough about this, so I figured I'd ask my fellow fools to see if there's something that I've missed or if I'm just flat misinformed. Matt, newly minted CFP, tell us all about the basics of shorting just to set the groundwork. Well, the base, the short way I can explain short selling is basically what you're doing is you are borrowing shares of a stock from somebody else 
and selling them. You're selling stock that you don't own. So your hope is that the price of the stock will go down so then you can buy them back and give those shares back to whoever you borrowed from at a cheaper price than you sold it for, profiting from the difference. Now, for, like for example, say I wanted to short Apple. Say I'd, Apple's at its record high right now. I think it's gone too high. I could ask my broker to borrow, say, 100 shares of Apple, sell it on the open market, and then if I'm correct and Apple comes down a little bit, I can buy it back at that new lower price, give my broker back the 100 shares, and I get the profit from the difference. The problem with that is it creates an unlimited upside, or I'm sorry, an unlimited risk of loss. Um, just to kind of give you a quick example, I was looking at um, something I wrote on a blog a long, long time ago. Back in 2007, I thought Amazon was an expensive stock. Um, it was trading at $39 a share. If I had initiated a short position in that for, say, 100 shares, that means I'm borrowing almost $4,000 worth of stock. If I had held on to that short position until today, I would be very wrong. Amazon trades over $1,900 a share as I'm speaking. I would be sitting on a loss of about $187,000 on a roughly $4,000 value short position. So that's an extreme example, and I probably would have gotten out of the position and as soon as it you know, started really going in the opposite direction. But that's just kind of one example of how it can lead to an unlimited amount of loss if you're not careful. So the listener who wrote in is definitely correct. It's a, it's a risky strategy in that respect. Um, if you're buying a stock, the most you can lose is your investment. The stock could go to zero. But if you're shorting, there's no limit to how high a stock can go. So it makes your risk of loss infinite. Yeah, and that's really the scary part when it comes to shorting. Um, because of that infinite um, risk that's involved, there's really no ceiling on how, how high a stock could rise if you happen to be a short seller. And the other key thing, too, is that your thesis could actually be pretty spot on, but you have to remember that the markets are irrational um, more often than not. And because of that, I mean, let's say you're shorting a stock where you believe the company is, you know, uh, behind some sort of accounting fraud. Um, the market may not recognize that. And as such, the stock price continues to rise. And even though you may be 100% right at the end of the day, at whatever point that comes, that could mean that your losses could be greater than 100%. And it's this relative lack of control that really keeps me from shorting stocks. That's not to say that, uh, A, it has... It doesn't have a, a rightful place in the market. Um, I think for any healthy capital market situation, you want to have people who are shorting stocks, um, particularly when you see valuations get exorbitantly high. Um, with that being said, have to balance that with short sellers. You know, it's not necessarily that they're shorting stocks, or you have some that publish short selling reports. Not necessarily they're doing it. Um, out of the kindness of their hearts, they are trying to make money. And with that, there could also be, you know, just some behind the scenes manipulation. So you have to keep that in mind when you're hearing about some of these short selling reports that come out. But overall, though, um, shorting is a healthy part of any sort of market. It really helps uncover things that the market itself may not have absorbed yet. So really good to, to see uh, 
short sellers out there. But for most long-term investors, just as you mentioned, Matt, the risk is just so infinitely high. It's a much safer bet for most investors to stay away. Yeah, like you said, uh, short selling is definitely a. It adds to the efficiency of the market by allowing people to, you know, essentially bet both directions. It helps control bubbles. If an asset gets too highly priced, short sellers can come in and kind of keep that in check. Um, and it provides investors with a hedging mechanism, where if you know if I own a portfolio of ten stocks and it's just gone through the roof, I could short, you know, an an ETF actually, like we're about to talk about to try to kind of mitigate my risk. So if done correctly, it can be a healthy investment strategy, but you really need to be careful. You really need to have a clearly defined exit strategy if you initiate a short position. Like in my Amazon example, if you don't have an exit strategy, it could just have gone on forever and ever and ever. So it's really important to have a plan going into a shorting position. And like you said, it's generally long-term investors are better off just you know, just buying stocks and holding them and not worrying about shorting. Exactly. So, yeah, we, we certainly don't knock shorting as a, an important component of our markets. And it's a tool that even here at The Motley Fool, some of our services use shorting within their portfolios. So, certainly a tool that can be used. Just have to be very, very careful in how you do it. So, now that we've laid the groundwork for what shorting is, uh, let's transition, talk about some of the other ways to profit from a downturn or the demise of a particular stock. But first, a quick break from our sponsors. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms you carry and use every day. Now, all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa or message them on Facebook to stay on top of the markets. Learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. So, we've discussed the basic strategy of shorting an individual stock, but uh, as Matt mentioned, you can also now invest in ETFs uh, that short a particular index. So, they're inverse ETFs, sometimes called a short ETF or a bear ETF, that cover the major indexes like the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ, as well as for a number of mid and small cap indexes, too. So, Matt, let's talk a little bit about uh, what a short ETF is and how it works. Sure. Well, I mean, a short ETF uses kind of derivative instruments to bet against the market. The actual mechanism of it is kind of complicated, but the point of an inverse ETF is to deliver the exact opposite of an index's daily performance. For example, if the S&P went up by 3%, a short ETF that that tracks the S&P would be expected to be down 3%. So, it's a good way to bet against the market on a short-term basis. Again, it's based on daily price movements. And as our listener said, shorting an e- you're buying a short ETF instead of shorting an individual stock or actually shorting an ETF, it does limit your downside to what your investment is. Um, for example, if I spend $2,000 on shares of a short S&P ETF and the S&P keeps going up and up and up, the worst that can happen is I lose my $2,000. That's bad, but it's definitely better than unlimited loss potential. 
on the negative side, there are a few things that kind of skew the odds against you when shorting an index. For one thing, the market definitely has an upside bias over the long term. Um, you probably heard that over long periods of time, no asset class outperforms stocks. It's absolutely true. So this kind of works against you if you're planning on buying a short position as a hedge to hold for a long period of time. In addition, when you're shorting an ET or when you buy a short ETF, you have to worry about fees, just like you would when you buy a mutual fund or regular ETF. Um, just to kind of name one example, I was looking at a short S&P ETF right before we started recording this. Uh, ticker symbol is SH, and it has an expense ratio of 0.89%. So already you're almost losing 1% a year on an annual rate without <laughs> factoring in the market's performance. So those two factors, the market's inherent upward bias and the fees you're paying for buying the ETF in, in the first place, both kind of combine to put you at a disadvantage. So that's something that investors definitely need to worry about. And the other thing is the daily price movements. Just to kind of give you a basic mathematical example of why that's a bad thing, let's say that an investment you own goes down by 50%. Now it's worth half of what you originally paid for it, and now it needs to go up by 100% just for you to break even. So because of these daily movements, it kind of makes it, – it means that you need to – your investment needs to go up by a lot more than you're losing just to break even is kind of the basic way to say it. Um, so there's a few things that put you at a disadvantage when shorting. Yes, shorting an entire index is – it definitely limits your downside, but it's still not a great idea from a long-term perspective is kind of the point of what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, too, who would you say in terms of the type of investors that – short ETFs are most suited for, um, what, what types of investors should go after that particular strategy? Well, inverse ETFs and leveraged ETFs that we're about to talk about are best suited for short-term investors. They're good ways to hedge against kind of short-term trades. If you're buying a stock because you think it's going to go up like crazy in the next month, or uh, you're, you know, you're investing in the S&P, a short ETF can help you kind of hedge against that risk if you use it correctly. From a long-term perspective, I really, I mean, I've used them in the past in, in a limited basis, but from a long-term perspective, it's really something you need to be careful on unless you are very convinced that the market is in a bubble or that there's something that's going to happen that's going to drive the sector or whatever you're shorting down. It's a, definitely a risky strategy over if you approach it from a long-term perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So you've touched on it a little bit, but now we can actually get into leveraged ETF. So um, our listener question wasn't exactly focused on leveraged ETFs, but um, if I'm an investor, Matt, I see that I can actually get 2x, 3x returns on the market, or maybe the inverse of what the market is doing. Why wouldn't I do that? What What should I know before I consider diving headfirst into these leveraged ETFs? Well, first of all, it's three times the, the, the profit potential, but also three times the downside potential. And that can kind of magnify really fast. Um, if an index that you're, that's tracking drops by, say, 20%, and you're 
you know, three times levered to that, your, your investment drops by 60%. So that's kind of, that's the thing to keep in mind, greater risk, greater reward, but that there's a fine line between gambling and taking a calculated risk and inverse ETFs. I would kind of liken to gambling more than, than investing. Um, the other thing is the daily compounding that, or the daily price movements that I just mentioned kind of have a double effect when you, you're talking about a leveraged ETF. Um, just for example, again, this is a simplified example, but let's say that you buy a leveraged ETF with three times leverage and your investment drops by 30 or the underlying index drops by 30%. You can expect your, your uh, instrument to drop by 90%. In other words, you would now need to gain 900% just in the underlying index, just to break or in your investment, just to break even. So it really can amplify your losses, especially over long periods of time. Actually, I would advise any listener who's thinking of buying a leveraged ETF for a long period of time to look at its past performance. You'll see that most of them lose money over time, even the one, even when the investors bet correctly, just because this daily price movement gives you a puts the investor at an inherent disadvantage over long periods of time. Over short periods of time, these can be useful instruments, but from a long-term perspective, you're just at such a disadvantage. The disadvantages that I talked about when you, with um, inverse ETFs are magnified when it comes to leveraged ETFs. So keep that in mind, um, do your homework, and definitely have an exit strategy and a clear plan in mind if you're even thinking about touching one of these. Absolutely. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head. Shorting is risky enough. When you then add in the component of leverage, the challenge of actually making money becomes significantly more difficult in that case, especially when the markets are irrational. And so you talked about the daily compounding effects, which are, I mean, that's the whole key behind this. And that's why sometimes when you see 2x, 3x returns, you might not actually get that at the end of the day as a long-term investor. Um, and really, the key for using leveraged ETFs is first just knowing you know, how volatile those daily price swings are, and then secondly, in which direction those price swings are going to go. Both of those factors are nearly impossible to predict, and for long-term investors, nearly impossible to keep up with. Um, I would say, just to, to reiterate, Leveraged ETFs really don't have a place in the portfolio of a long-term investor. If you are going to use them, make sure that you do have an exit strategy. Consider your stops. Um, and really, too, I would even throw in there the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, actually has an investor bulletin out on this very topic. And not just on leveraged ETFs and inverse ETFs, but also in the context of long-term investors. As a matter of fact, the title of it is Leveraged and Inverse ETF Specialized Products with Extra Risk for Buy-and-Hold Investors. So before you think that uh, Matt and I are both just being curmudgeons on a Monday and want to suck all the fun out of your portfolios, it's not just us. This SEC warns against their use. Um, and really, I would say, if you are going to use them, certainly read through the prospectus. Um, Many of these funds outline these risks. They tell you 
pretty much everything that we just told you in the prospectus. So you want to check that out. And even in that SEC Investor Bulletin, they have a special section of what to look for in that prospectus as well, if you're considering it. Again, not that it is a terrible thing. There are many different instruments that one can use uh, to profit in the stock market. You just want to be very much aware of the risk involved. Uh, Really consider your risk tolerance as you go into some of these investments. And at the end of the day, you want to talk with someone like a Matt Frankel, who is now a certified financial planner, to help you in making that decision. Matt, any other final thoughts on any of these strategies? No, just the one thing I'd really like to reemphasize is that if you're thinking about buying a leveraged ETF, go back and look at its performance history. The market has roughly tripled since its 2009 lows after the financial crisis. If you look at a a triple leveraged S&P 500 ETF, I guarantee you it has not tripled the market's return in that period of time. So if you look at the performance history of a leveraged ETF before you jump into it, that alone could make you think twice, in addition to the prospectus essentially telling you it's not for long-term investors. So Definitely look at look at your do your homework. Look at the chart. Look at the prospectus. And if you still decide it's right for you, at least you'll be informed. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week's financial show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm-hmm.